Welcome to the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy habits. I know how hard that can be because I've struggled and succeeded to varying degrees throughout my life, but I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for over a decade now. The key for me was discovering my passion for lifting weights and kettlebell sport. On this podcast, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, experts, and everyday people about kettlebells, fitness programming, nutrition, mindset, making an impact, and generally striving to grow and leave a legacy of positive change. Please join me. Welcome into the platform podcast. My guest today is Nikolai Puchlov, the head coach and founder of the Seattle Kettlebell Club and also the founder of Pro Kettlebell. Nikolai, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you being on. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You are the founder of the Seattle Kettlebell Club, obviously, as I just mentioned, but where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle, Ballard, Seattle. Um, you know, even though I have a very Russian name, I'm, I'm first generation born here in, in the United States and, uh, I'm half Russian. My dad's side is Russian and, but, uh, my mom's side is American. So I only speak a tiny bit of Russian, even though my name would. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The first time I, the first time I saw your, your name come up and the first time I, I watched one of your videos, I was totally expecting like, uh, you know, uh, an experience where, where you hear somebody who's speaking with a very thick Russian accent <laughs> explaining how to lift kettlebells. And right. when, you, when you got on the mic, I was like, Oh, this guy's very American. <laughs> right. You know, the first time I met my wife's aunt who, who lives in very or lived in very rural Oregon uh she was speaking very slowly to me and like enunciating every single word and I said uh you know I speak English perfectly I was actually born in the United States and um and it, <laughs> it was kind of funny um so yeah I uh <laughs> I am more American than I am Russian for sure nice so I know your I know your coaching background starts a little bit in the powerlifting world, but what about your your own personal athletic background? How did how did you start uh, you know athletically growing up? Were you were you an athletic kid growing up, or or did you come into it later? How how does your athletic background tie in? Uh, yeah, we I mean I started playing sports as a young as a young kid in elementary school, um, even before that, uh, soccer mostly. I played all the sports, but I was probably best at soccer and uh i enjoyed that the most so um basketball and baseball i played with limited success um hit my growth spurt kind of late so um being competitive in those sports was was tough um and but uh you know i enjoyed soccer because it allowed me but the chance to run around i could be aggressive i you know i kind of like that and uh so that's, that's what I did until I hit high school. And then in high school, cause I was so small, I, I started just lifting weights. Um, cause I wanted to, to get bigger arms and a chest because I like girls, you know? <laughs> and, uh, 
I think I think but, I think bigger arms and chest it, it helps either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing really, um, and uh, uh, it was just by pure luck that um, I had a a uh, a group of personal trainers come into my high school gym class, and they were from this. Uh, this foundation called the Willie Austin Foundation. Willie Austin has passed away a couple of years back. But um, what this foundation did was they took high school kids like me. I believe I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I was one of the only kids who was still in, in the weightlifting class. Most of the kids would take off and go smoke. And uh, I was in there just doing my own thing. And they're like, hey, you want to come to this uh, club? And uh, you'll get personal training. It's, uh, it was like two days a week, and this club was called uh, the Gateway Athletic Club at the time. And uh, it was this premier club on the 14th floor of a skyscraper in downtown Seattle. And we had access to it at night. We got like an hour of training from these, from these personal trainers and stuff. It was the most beautiful place I'd ever been to in my life, and I'd never really been downtown Seattle at that point. Um, and... Uh, like they had a, a bathroom attendant that would give you bathroom mints and stuff like that for oh, wow. cigarettes at the time. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was crazy. And that was my first experience with a real gym other than a high school gym. And wow, that's, that's fantastic. Day. You got, and so you got like professional, like you got professional, you know, the uh, form correction and, you know, uh, I progress, did. progressive programming at a very, at a very young age. That's, that's awesome. I did. It was, it was really, it was, kind of a miracle i guess you know um and then one of the guys who worked for that who was he was basically an, an equity owner in that club his name is andrew bull stewart i wound up reconnecting with him in, when i turned 30 well no I, I reconnected with him when i was 23 uh and he became my personal trainer later and that was just totally by random coincidence and he just happened to be one of those trainers and an equity owner at the gateway athletic club back in the day and he totally remembered me and he started personal training me when i turned 23 and, and if, I, if I, I saw your your blog post right he, he kind of like mr miyagi'd you into into powerlifting without you really knowing that you were prepping for powerlifting right he did he did he totally uh he bamboozled me um <laughs> he did um which is great i'm thankful for it um and i've sort of learned that same trick that's how I've gotten people to do kettlebells, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we start training just for fitness and for fun. And, you know, sooner or later, they, they wind up getting a, a, a taste and they, they try the sport out. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, the, uh, so the Seattle kettlebell club is, is right in, in the heart of, of Seattle, right? I mean, can you give me a, I'm, I haven't yet gotten the chance to, to go to Seattle. Uh, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's on my, it's on my list. I was planning on making a trip out there because the, the company that I work for in my day job actually has, uh, has an office up there and I was planning on making a trip up there and making a pilgrimage to your gym and, and meeting you in person and, and taking some classes and all that. And then COVID happened. So I didn't get a chance right. to do that, unfortunately, but, uh, you, you guys, you guys tell me a little bit about how you guys started. Cause you're, you're one of the biggest, you're one of the biggest clubs. I think you're the biggest, uh, competition club in, in the U S now, but you're, you're also a, a gym that's specific to, to kettlebell sport basically, which is very unique in, in the U S at this time. So tell me a little bit about how that started. How did that come about? Well, it started at, um, at Bull Stewart's gym. You know, I was doing personal training there. 
became a personal trainer when I, uh, in my early thirties. Um, basically I, I turned 30 and I was, I had been powerlifting, but I was kind of like, I was, I was in the restaurant industry. I still smoked. I drank and, uh, you know, oh, excellent uh, for your output. Yeah, totally, totally awesome. And I was in bad shape. You know, my, my blood pressure was pretty high. Uh, resting heart rate was pretty high. Um, I'd get really sweaty, you know, just like walking up steps and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed working out, but I was just at a point in my life where I needed a career change. Uh, the restaurant industry, um, it was something I'd wanted to do. I wanted to be a bartender, you know, and I did that and did it for quite a few years. I totally burned out on it. Um, and so I, you know, I quit drinking and after, um, you know, a couple months of not drinking, I really realized that, um, the rest, <laughs> I hated my restaurant job. I like could not get into it anymore because there's really nothing for me to look forward to at the end of my shift. Everybody was going to have shift drinks or whatever. And yeah, I, you get I your shift drink at the that. end of the shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wasn't doing that anymore. And I had all this extra time on my hands and, you know, money. So I wound up, you know, getting more personal training and spending a ton of time in the gym. And, you know, when you, when you're with a personal trainer, you wind up just talking a lot too. And, and Bull's like, you know, you'd be great at this. And, uh, he convinced me to, uh, to come work, uh, at the gym. And, um, you know, I got, so I, I talked it over with my wife and she's like, okay, well, you should, you should do this, but don't quit your other job, you know, cause you're, I've done the math on it. And you, you need to, you know, have X amount of clients just to, you know, break even. Yeah, she's like, and, hedge, your, uh, hedge your bets a little bit. Don't go all in here. What's that? She yeah, was like, yeah. hedge, hedge your bets a little bit. Don't go all For in sure. right away. For sure. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, but that lasted about a day or two because I just <laughs> I wound up quitting my restaurant job and, and going all in. And it was an independent contractor job. So I made no hourly wage. I made $0 when I started. I just, But I would just be there all the time. And uh, I just made sure to stay as busy as possible. And um, I think it was when, within a couple months, I had probably 30 clients. Like, I, he, Bull did a really good job of um, showing me how to take good care of clients. Uh, he, he had a method about how he did things. And, and I totally adopted that method. And I had always had kind of a customer service background. And that was helpful, too. I worked at Nordstrom for five years. Um, well, and as a bartender, you, you know how to listen to people's stories without judgment and just, you know, just be quiet yeah. and let them vent and tell you what they need to tell you and be like, all right. Yeah. And so it was kind of a natural fit. It was really a natural fit. Anyway, so, uh, you know, um, through powerlifting, I had developed some injuries and whatnot. Um, I, w I really messed up my back pretty bad. Um, and, uh, you know, I had some, I could, I had some, some toe drop, like I was dragging my foot for a while and another coach there, um, who's a friend of bowls, Nick Dick Schuler, He, he was talking to me and said, you know, you should try kettlebells and this will totally, you know, help you out. And he recommended a guy, Tom Corrigan, who lives, uh, he, he lives North of Seattle and, uh, gave me his phone number and I contacted he, you know Tom Corgan? 
No, I was I was just gonna say that that's uh, that's not a name I've heard in in the kettlebell community. Man, he's been around is... forever in the kettlebell world. Uh, anyways, he's he's super knowledgeable. He's like one of the most knowledgeable guys with kettlebells you'll ever meet. Um, anyways, I I wound up meeting with him. He he kind of took me under his wing and uh, showed me a lot. He planted the seeds as far as like what the sport was, but he didn't really let me know that he was doing that. He you know, he was, he was showing me hard style, um, but he was planting the seeds of, of the sport aspect of it, unbeknownst to me. And, and, for, uh, and for the uninitiated listener, let's just articulate what, the, what is the difference between hard style and sport style? Uh, I can give you my version, and uh, there'll be some people that'll maybe disagree with me or whatever, but I think yeah, hard screw style, those people. Yeah, I think I I really think hard style is kind of a marketing thing. It's uh, it it you teach people how to use kettlebells, right? It's very hard yeah. to teach people how to do kettlebells. There's so much nuance. There's so many different variables depending on a person's body body type. It's really a martial art. And if you're trying to market kettlebells to a mass audience, uh, it, it, teaching them sport is just not going to work. And hard style really kind of takes some it takes some rules and it just, it makes things very simple and easy to digest. And it takes some hard, uh, some, uh, power lifting, um, principles and maybe some martial arts principles kind of puts them together and just creates a very structured manner of teaching kettlebells that the, the noob can pick up fairly quickly and feel like they're, they're getting good. Um, and it sounds cool hard style right and uh comrade you must lift yeah, as comrade. hard as you can really in every yeah, rep. They, totally, they totally play it off of uh you know um pavel's you know popularity with his deep voice and um it was i mean know. it was a it was a brilliant avatar to create for him and obviously it worked well right and you tell you tell some guys that you know soviet spetnaz do it and all that stuff they just eat that stuff up um anyways so that's that's kind of where, where I, that's, that's my version of it. And uh, I'll probably get some shit over it, but whatever. I'll, I'll um, give it, I'll give it the more, I'll give it the more politically correct spin on it, which <laughs> is that I, I think uh, hard style is designed uh, with a different intention behind it. It is to apply maximal force to the implement with every repetition and every, uh, and every, and every movement that you do, your, your design is to create maximal tension, maximal force production. So it works well for quick development of strength for deconditioned athletes. And it can help with power and rate of force production adaptation. Um, it's simpler to teach because the movements have less moving parts. And in that application, if your goal is to get strong quickly and to work on your rate of force production for anaerobic sports like uh, martial arts or uh, American football or rugby, things like that, it can work very well in that application. It is not as complicated to teach as kettlebell sport where the movements are more fluid, the movements are more athletic, and the movements are designed for strength endurance. That's my 
uh, politically correct way without, without trying to alienate anybody. It depends on the goal of your application, right? It can be, it can be a very time efficient way to train. Um, for people that have no interest in competing in kettlebell sport, it can be an effective modality. And so long as you move correctly and in a safe manner, there is nothing wrong with hard style in that uh, with those guardrails applied to it. I, I, I can agree with that. Um, you know, you don't have to, you can absolutely challenge me. if, if no, I, I, I can, I can agree with it. Um, I will say that the term kettlebell sport style is incorrect too, though. Oh, and the reason, the reason being is because uh, not everybody who uses that style is a kettlebell sport athlete or wants to be a kettlebell sport athlete. It's like saying a, uh, you know, someone who rides a bike is a, uh, is a, you know, a, 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 a competitive a cyclist sport athlete. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, the, the techniques work very well uh, for a large uh, percentage of the population. Uh, and what I, what I enjoy about it is um, and what, what kind of has, the more I do it, the more I really like about it is that the movements are so naturally athletic and it really taps into people's natural ability um, and allows you to harness your own unique athleticism that people who maybe didn't have the confidence in themselves being athletic have actually really find that they actually are athletic and start to do some really amazing things. And with very little wear and tear on the body, um, as opposed to other types of weightlifting that, that can really, uh, you know, maybe not always, once you get to a certain point, it's not so beneficial. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I love powerlifting and I love Olympic lifting. That was my background before I discovered kettlebells, um, you know, as applied for, you know, my, my goal of being the best football player I could be. But I, I was at one point a, a fairly decent power lifter, although, you know, in the heavyweight class, you know, a 1500 total is not terribly impressive, but you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, it's not bad. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but, but also the stakes are so high when you have 600 pounds directly loaded on your spine, if there are any movement compensations going on that you're not fully aware of the accumulation of force and reps, I mean, you, it only takes one bad rep with, with 600 pounds loaded on your spine to create a pretty severe injury very quickly. So that maximal loading can be, can be very, very high stakes. And if you're not really, really disciplined and really, really aware of what you're doing, um, which I don't know very many 19-year-olds that are receiving the level of coaching where they're, they're fully aware and, uh, and competent in, in all of those movement patterns. It, it, can be, it can be a very damaging way to train your body if you're not very, very careful and very, very well coached. Right. Yeah, it's almost not, not even, at least in the competitive aspect of it, it's, it's not if, it's just when. when yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know a high-level power lifter that hasn't uh, – torn a pack or you know done done some type of major either muscle or uh joint injury at some point because the stakes are just so high you know there's just so much force uh being right. applied in in different in different vectors you know that that's just you know like you said it's a it's a matter of when it's not a matter of if it's it really is a matter of when so 
Um, right. You you come from that you come from that background obviously as your as your first base of understanding. So how how do you 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 program differently than a lot of traditional kettlebell sport coaches? So how how did you take what you know from powerlifting and uh, apply it to kettlebell sport? But then also how is your how has your training philosophy evolved over time? Because you've 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 clearly evolved into a different way of trying to program for kettlebell sport. And I'm I'm really fascinated to hear more about how how your philosophy developed. Well, okay. So initially, I you know I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different uh, kettlebell coaches, and you know I've learned a little something from everybody. You know I learned uh, through Bull's uh, programming, which he you know he traditionally started a a uh, a powerlifting cycle with higher reps and a lot of assistance work in the beginning and as that program progressed well the reps would drop the assistance work would would drop until you finally got close to that one rep max and now you that usually took about eight weeks sometimes 12 weeks um and i really i really like that that linear progression um i i had learned you know i've sort of figured out with the demographic that i work with um you know 12 week cycles are, are a long time for people to stick with, um, especially it, when they pass 30 years old. Um, and uh, things start to break down around that time. So shortening cycles has been helpful for me. Um, Mikhail Marshak was my first sport coach. Um, and he, his, his method was very, was very linear uh, basically using, you know, a steady amount of, uh, basically a set, uh, weight range and then just slowly increasing time to it over, over a period of weeks, which was similar so, to so the So he was, he was adding volume by keeping the weight the same, but adding time under tension. Yes, but there'd be some heavy and medium and light sets, you know. Um, but yes, he was adding time to it. And it was almost like it was very similar to Bowles programming. It just the opposite. You're just adding time. As opposed to uh, weight. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Rachinsky for a while. And he definitely, he had a much higher volume approach um, where people would just immediately start doing, you know, like 10 minute or longer sets with much lighter weight though and coming back. And so really it's just become a hybrid of things that I've learned and different uh, assistant maneuvers that I've found that, you know, some I've learned from other people, other I've kind of created myself. And um, uh, I really, you know, feel like they're, they're super beneficial. Um, I think the way I do things differently is probably, and I've started noticing other people are starting to do it. I use percentages a lot um, in our in our programming. And how so? Do you mean percentage of weight or percentage of time, or how, how do you apply percentages? Percentages of weight. Yeah, percentages of weight and and volume per minute. And uh, what what makes that work well? See, initially it was, I'd say, all right, do plus 
or minus two or four kilos or whatever. Yeah, over but, competition, over your competition weight, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So you you'd start with your competition weight, and I'd say plus or minus two or four, you know, kilos or whatever. But when you're dealing with someone who is using like say eight kilos versus someone who's using thirty-two kilos, well, those percentage increases are much different. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If two kilos is a much higher percentage of yeah, eight two kilos. kilos two kilos typically represents between a ten a ten to twenty percent load increase depending on and that that's the thing that people don't don't seem to to grasp. Right. When you're like when you go from a when you go from a, a twelve to a fourteen kilo uh kettlebell, they're like, Oh, it's only two kilos. It's like, yeah, that's twenty percent, bro. Like that that's that's a big increase. I don't think you I don't think you realize how, how right. big the increase that is in your total volume. And so when our team was just starting and I only had a couple people on it, you know, I could, I could, I could tell people individually, no, that's not going to work for you. You use this weight, you use this weight, blah, blah, blah. But at a certain point, you know, our, our team grew to 40 and then 60 and at our peak, we had over a hundred people on our team. And so I'm writing a program for all these people and doing percentages of working weight made the most sense uh you know i could i could give the same program to you know a hundred people and they could you know using those percentages they can all use the same program yeah that's that's fantastic that's, that's similar to what i'm i'm trying to do uh post covid um mm -hmm. you know in, in individual before prior to covid i was designing any athlete on my team got a customized program with specific weights, times, sets, you know, et cetera, progressing them depending on where they were at in their journey. Um, but now because everybody's remote and nobody has any, ha has any ability to connect uh, in person, uh, I asked my team, you know, what, what would you prefer? Do you still want me to give you customized programming based on the weights that you have at home? Or do you just want to, do you just want everybody to be doing the same time and sets and then we just I just vary your your pacing and the weight of the kettlebell that you use to adjust the the intensity for you but everybody's doing the same sets and and that was what unequivocally everybody voted for was like hey yeah let's all do you know 10 one minute intervals or five two minute intervals or whatever we're doing on that particular day so then everybody's working out together but you're still customizing the the volume uh, and the intensity of the workout based on what weights they have available and what their current capacity is. And that's, and that's, uh, you know, a similar approach. I don't have as much flexibility because nobody can get kettlebells right now. Um, mm -hmm. so mo most people only have one or two weights available to them, but, uh, it's the similar, similar type of approach that I'm trying to do as well as I'm, I'm trying to, how do I, how do I generalize this to as many people as possible so that, uh, if I have 12 people in a session, we can all work out together. If I have four people in a session, great, we can still all work out together. But it's that, that, that is, that is challenging. And that, and that you got it up to, you know, that you've gotten it up to a hundred people is, is fantastic. I mean, that's, that's fucking awesome, man. Can, congrats to you. That's great. Thanks. Well, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, at Columbia City Fitness, I started doing kettlebell classes and uh, there would be a lot of mornings where basically I would, be there at five in the morning to start a kettlebell class and nobody would be there. And, uh, and that was like a lot of mornings and, and then, you know, slowly it'd be one person and then two people. Um, eventually, you know, 
I did strike out on my own and, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to be a true independent contractor. I left the gym and, um, you know, I was teaching kettlebell classes in the park, you know, at different parks and whatnot for free and um, trying to get people to do it. And, but I had no gym to work out of. And it was, it's been a very slow process. It was, you know, and that's in the Pacific it, Northwest climate too. <laughs> yeah. You don't oh, have yeah. a 12, you don't have a 12 month a year uh, training window but, up there. But right? we did it anyways. We would teach classes out in the rain. Um, oh, awesome. uh, well, Nora, Nora would do it, but um, you know, my wife has been very instrumental as far as like, you know, the marketing aspect of everything. Uh, there's no way, you know, I've kind of got the, the training knowledge, but my wife has been really instrumental as far as the, the uh, being able to learn how to build websites and, and figure out the SEO aspect. Um, we initially were called Striker Fit Kettlebell Club, but then yeah, I saw you your know, throw. I saw your throwback post to when when Striker Fit was doing a, a free a free class on a beach. Like that was I, you posted that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, that's that's cool. It's it's great to it's great to see how the how the brand has evolved. Right, and so that our SEO was terrible, you know, our search engine optimization. So you know, we came up with the idea to call it Seattle Kettlebell Club, and like within a day or two we went from like page 30 to page one on google and that helped us a lot i'm not gonna uh, lie that was totally part of the reason i decided to call this kettlebell club the twin cities kettlebell club as opposed to something else yeah um so that was so thank you to your wife (laughs) right yeah um so that was a good move on our part um you know I, i guess i'm kind of circling back to how we started that seattle kettlebell club um you know, the the first place we started was at this place called Ridge Ridge Fitness. It was when we actually created the class based membership, um, and it was somebody else's gym. But I would pay him eight hundred bucks a month to do my personal training out of and teach classes. And uh, we charged people. I think it was like a hundred and fifty dollars a month. And with that, they got a membership to his gym, and then they got our kettlebell classes, which were like three days a week or something like that. And it became so popular in a short period of time that he actually kicked me out (laughs) because people were starting to think that his gym was Seattle Kettlebell Club, not Ridge Fitness. And plus kettlebell lifters leave chalk and all that stuff. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, And it was kind of a gym for like people in their fifties who just like to like go on the treadmill and, and do circuit training. And, you know, we're still friends and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, he was like, Nicola, you got a week. You got to find another place. <laughs> wow, he gives you a week. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a crisis. But, um, you know, I've had three locations. I'm on my third location right now uh, since then. The first was, a, uh, was a, a photography studio that a guy named Keeley let me rent out for about $1,500 a month. And I had to share it with the. Uh, um, a couple that used it as a photography studio and Keely also lived there and he and his girlfriend lived there. And so he'd come walking out in his underwear in the middle of my class. <laughs> and I don't know why people continue to come take classes from me because like there's a dude in his underwear in my class. Like he lives hey, maybe it gym. was part of the appeal. Was he a good looking guy? Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, um, um, but, uh, Definitely his girlfriend was getting tired of us pretty quick. 
And then he basically was like, all right, Nikolai, I think we got to, we got to wrap this up. This is getting too, too big, too crazy here. You know, my girlfriend wants to go. And um, luckily a small space, just a couple doors down from, from his space opened up and that was our first actual location. It was only about 1100 square feet. Um, but uh, we borrowed a lot of money and, and, and built it out as best we could. And uh, that, that was like our first, like our own space. Nice. And, what year uh, was that? Uh, that was 2015. Okay, great. And when did and when did the when did the whole journey start with the Seattle Kettlebell Club as its own entity? Like 2015, okay. like early 2015. It was by end of 2015 that we we had moved twice already, and we had to find another space. Nice. My wife might correct me on some of those dates. I'm terrible with dates, but I know uh, it's me, me too. I, I feel you. I am terrible with remembering dates, so don't don't worry about that. Um, but you know, we wound up getting a lot of noise complaints because this building was at the base of it's a mixed retail uh, space at the bottom of a condominium, and all the the jerks, you know. Yeah, you're doing jerks uh, right. That's what I was gonna say. You're doing jerks right if you're getting noise complaints from the neighbor. Yeah, we got noise complaints. We got so many noise complaints that um, we, you know, after we only lasted a couple years there, uh, maybe a year and a half before we started looking for another location. And I still had a five-year lease on that place. Um, so I had to find a subtenant. And then luckily we found our current location where we're at right now. And that's about 3,600 square feet. And that's, you know, that's been our dream location so far. It's been the best by far, being a standalone building. Uh, we built in the platforms into the floor with hardwood oh, all around it, made it as beautiful as possible. And yeah, it, uh, looks, it looks it looks gorgeous. And when I when I've seen all you know, I've seen the pictures online, and I'm just like, oh man, he's he's built he's built the the Shangri La facility of of kettlebell sport uh, training training gym. We're not through yet. We're not through yet. I've got some other some other things in the works. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've seen you. You've updated. You've updated recently. You've installed some new stuff. With uh, I saw you playing around on some on some on some rings and a pull up bar and 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 doing doing a whole bunch of stuff. And you mentioned earlier crisisunities. And obviously, you know, COVID obviously hit Seattle first and hit it pretty freaking hard. So I mean, first and foremost, how is how how is everyone? How is your family? How is the membership? How how is the community doing up there right now? Uh, you know. The, the Rona, it, it hit our membership super hard. You know, a lot of people lost jobs and um, people are still scared to, to come to the gym right now. Um, but, uh, you know, we had built up our membership to a, to a pretty good amount prior to that. And, uh, we, you know, we are lucky because we do have a really strong community and a lot of our members have stuck with us and continued to pay, even though, you know, they weren't using the gym. They, we let them borrow kettlebells and, and then do the online classes that, that we started doing through the pro kettlebell. And that's kept a lot of them satisfied, but we, we probably lost over 50% or more of, of our membership. The saving grace was that, you know, you know, I had, quite a few, I had a large staff, I had about eight staff members, and, uh, you know, a few trainers, 
And uh, we were paying out a lot in payroll every month. Um, so that was kind of built into our overhead. And so when we lost the, you know, all the, the labor, you know, we were able to kind of stay afloat, you know what I mean? Um, and we've been getting a little bit through the, through the online business, but that's, you know, that's still in its infancy. Um, yeah, so, we're just so, happy to be open so again. Tell me about the, the pro kettlebell. I mean, you guys obviously had to pivot, uh, the brand to, to pro kettlebell. Was that something that was already in the works or was that just totally a response to, uh, to this situation where you're like, Hey, we've, we've got to provide a solution to our members and this is the only way that we can do that. Or, or, you know, just tell me a little bit about the, the pro kettlebell brand. Yeah. So that's been in the works for a while. Uh, it just really, uh, expedited it. It really made it happen a lot quicker. It gave us the time to actually work on it. Um, you know, I love, uh, Seattle kettlebell club and I love that brand, but it is kind of, uh, you know, specific to Seattle. Um, I have always felt like the term, you know, whether we like it or not, Valerie Federico would say there's only kettlebells, you know, there's, there's only using kettlebells well and then not, you know. One uh, true way of kettlebells. Yes, 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 yes. And they've, I've heard people try to call it fluid style, which sounds pretty like wimpy to me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, what, how, what is the style that we have? And honestly, it's, it's pro style kettlebell lifting. This is how professionals lift kettlebells. And so that's where the name pro kettlebell came from. And I felt like it has, it has kind of universal appeal. Um, I want to be able to, you know, reach a broader market and, uh, share the programming, um, and also help other gym owners, do what we did, you know, and, yeah. and have a successful, you know, business that's, you know, based off kettlebells. And, uh, it's, it is hard. It's like out of all the, the fitness things to choose to do, kettlebells is probably like the hardest thing to do. Um, it, it's, it's almost, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I mean, you know, it takes a masochist to do kettlebell sports, so it makes sense that it takes a masochist to try and build a business on kettlebell sport. Exactly. And, and that's the truth. You, you hit it on the head. And, um, but we figured some things out along the way. And, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know who Zig Ziglar is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Zig Ziglar says, you help enough people get what they want, you automatically get what you want. Yeah. And that's our philosophy. And so if we can help enough people learn how to do kettlebells and, and make it part of their lifestyle and, and be successful, then, then, then we'll be successful too. Yeah. So that's the, that's the whole pro kettlebell thing. Um, well, your, your, you know, mission, right now, your mission aligns with, with what my, what my, my mission and vision is, which, you know, my mission is, you know, to help people build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. And my vision is to try and bring kettlebell sport to the mainstream in America. So I think we, I think we pretty clearly align in that, in that goal. You know, that's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because you've had so much success in kind of bridging that gap. And I, I really admire the, the way that you've been able to do that and build, uh, build an accessible club. Right. And that's the thing that I think you've really done really, really well. 
um, without fanboy on on you too much, but you know, I, I think you've lowered the barrier of entry and really made it accessible to people. You know, like you said, people who didn't previously view themselves as as athletes to give yeah. them an avenue to to try something new and then realize that they're more athletic than they ever gave themselves credit for, and then give them an expression for that uh, athleticism. You know, that's that's fantastic. I think you've you've really done. You've really done an awesome job to this point, and I think you've you've got a lot. Uh, I think you've got a lot ahead of you as well. I'm I'm excited for you. Thanks. Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, it, I get the most out of it when people kind of surprise themselves, and and uh, you know, if the sport gets a lot of the credit, or you know, a lot of the the media and the press, but actually, it's it's a lot of people that are uh, they're just regular just people trying to get in shape and you know they come in a little bit dejected and maybe not feeling so so great about themselves and those people that you know start walking around a little taller and you know picking their feet up and putting them down and, and just like feeling good about themselves those are the ones that are really um keep you going um yeah, I think you know. I think you found you found a really good way to kind of bridge the gap between you know what I would you know air quotes call fitness kettlebell versus sport kettlebell. Like I, I see a lot of the programming that you put out there where you've got people doing fundamental movements of kettlebell sport, but also incorporating just general GPP movements into that that entire circuit that you guys do. I mean, you t- typically do it in like six periods, it looks like, and and you have you have various components tied in throughout, and you know half of those are kettlebell sport movements and the other half are just like gpp movements like you know uh the the star you know the the push-up stars and you know different different movements that that just are really designed to incorporate the total body i think you guys have have really done a a a cool job of kind of blending those two uh components together to make it accessible for people uh, as an introductory level in a way to get them into just just healthy movement but with kettlebells as the foundation of it yeah, you know, if it works, it works. And, you know, the reason why, you know, the professionals do what they do with kettlebells is because they it works, right? And anything that doesn't work is is not necessary and, and not really useful. It's just a waste of time. If it has a, a high risk and low reward or, you know, if it just looks cool, but it doesn't do anything for you, then there's really no point doing it. Um, you know, we do add some fun stuff for variety, but uh, for the most part, it has to, like, it has to work. You and, you know, we have to be able to teach it in a very short period of time, too, because no one has the patience to learn, to spend 30 minutes learning how to do one move. And then by the time you learn how to do it, the class is over. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, that was definitely a mistake I made early on teaching kettlebells, especially kettlebell sport. You know, <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back to the rack position, and they're like, "Oh my god, you know, I've been in, been in this fucking rack position all day." You know, like, "Oh, yeah. sorry, time time's up." Yeah, we didn't really lift the bell overhead today, but but we really got your rack position tight. Like, right. Yeah. People have a short, uh, short attention span when it comes down to it. They just want to have fun and they want to lift and they want to sweat. Yeah. But, so you guys are developing a new kettlebell, which is made in America, which I was really excited to see your post about that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like last week. Tell me a little bit about that process. When are those going to be available? You know, how did you guys, how did you guys decide to go down that avenue? 
I'm shooting for September as far as availability goes. Um, I've always wanted to do that. I've been trying to do that since I got started doing kettlebells. Um, you know, one of the th first things I, I found with the kettlebells, first the cast iron ones, was that uh. they just were not comfortable for most people to be holding. You know, as a personal trainer, most of my clients were, you know, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and, and primarily, you know, primarily smaller people. Um, and I'd be showing them how to use kettlebells in a large, you know, they're uncomfortable in the beginning. And, uh, and then, you know, as I've, uh, you know, got better kettlebells, you know, the, my, uh, my retention rate has gone up, you know, and what was one of the best things was getting lighter kettlebells. Like I have so many fours and sixes in my gym. They probably get the most use out of all the kettlebells. Yeah. And it's, it's that great. Entry, right? Yeah. And it gets people started uh, right off the bat and they're not afraid of the kettlebells. And, you know, I ordered them from China. I got them straight from the factory. I've ordered a couple of times and they're probably, you know, there's some of the most comfortable kettlebells out there, but they're still huge uh, for most people. And they're still like a, just a spear with, you know, a handle on there. And they've done a better job of making the handle sort of blend into the spear. But you still get high points that push, that push into the forearm and, and create a large area of pressure or small area of pressure, you know, of pounds per square inch on the arm. And uh, I never felt quite right about ordering stuff from overseas anyways, because I just don't believe in the way that, you know, the workers get compensated or not. Um, and so I've been looking for a way to get them made in the US. I've been turned down probably 50 times. And finally I found um, a foundry that is willing to work with me and do it. And I decided if I'm going to do it in the U.S., I'm just going to, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to, I hired, we designed the kettlebell ourselves. My wife and I, we designed the kettlebell ourselves, like basically our, our dream list of aspects of it. And I've been working with a, uh, a, a SolidWorks designer uh, to get the geometry right. We're going to, we're supposed to get our, our 3D model. We are supposed to get it today. Hopefully we'll get it by the end of the weekend. Um, but, uh, the beauty of this kettlebell is, you know, there's so many things I've learned from doing kettlebells, um, you know, a higher center, a higher center of mass is, is going to be a little bit beneficial huge, as far as making huge. the kettlebell feel lighter. Some of the earlier kettlebells had really long, uh, horns, uh, which made them whip around and, uh, kind of smack you hard if you didn't do it quite right. Yep. Um, if the window's too large. Uh, you know, your hand can shoot through too far. If you're, if you have smaller hands, if it's too small, then it can, you know, it can impede that hand insertion. Um, there's just a number of things, just the, the overall size. I mean, the, originally they were designed for, you know, probably military age men, right? Yep. And, uh, that's not the majority of people using them in the United States. Yeah, that there's that there is not a women's size of kettlebells is right. asinine to me because even in Olympic lifting, I mean Olympic lifting has been around for a long time and it is not a 
quick to change institution by any stretch. But even no. in Olympic lifting, you have a men's length of the barbell and a women's length of the barbell. And the whip of the barbell is up to your own personal preferences. So long as it's right. within a certain spec range uh, that is determined by the, the governing body, uh, you know, you can use whatever barbell you like best so long as it meets the specs. And the fact that there is not that same level of both flexibility and rigor to kettlebells is, uh, I think, one of the things that's probably limiting its adoption and, and uh, probably limiting our ability to get it into the Olympics anytime soon. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, the prototypes and, and to see what you guys are doing because I, I am very much a an implement nerd. I have, I have tried almost every brand that's available in the U S and some of that are, that are not available in the U S but you know, you can get a Wolverson kettlebell, you know, you know, sent over mm -hmm. here or an Aleco kettlebell sent over here. You know, I've tried almost every single one and I have my preference just based on my own skeleton type, but I'm always open to, to trying new ones because, uh, I think, uh, I, like you said, it's, it's really super important that you find the ones that work for your anatomy because it matters so much, especially when you're talking about, you know, in a, in a given training cycle, you're doing hundreds and, and thousands of reps, you know, right. so, so getting the right, getting the right dimensions, getting the right, the right center of mass, like, you know, all of those things can, can lead to very uh, important improvements in your output. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't give, um, you know, Valerie Federenko, some credit. Uh, that guy is um, way ahead of his time as far as his vision. Um, you know, he came out with kettlebells with those flat spots on them yep. a long time ago. And, uh, you know, through no fault of his own, he just, he wasn't able to get the designers of the kettlebell to do exactly what he needed it to be, to do. And uh, after working with the, you know, the, the SolidWorks designer, I, I understand why he had trouble, especially if you're working with someone overseas. Um, those CAD programs are very simplistic and they, they can't do complex geometry. Uh, there's a lot of math that goes into it and the, the software starts to crash the computer um, when you start getting, making too many changes too quick. And those, those programs, they can really only do like circles, cylinders, you know, spheres and squares and stuff like that. And that's why his kettlebells looked the way they looked and they weren't 100% comfortable. Um, but his idea was right. Yeah, I loved, I loved the concept. And then I got a couple of them and I was like, this doesn't fit my, because I, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm the opposite of you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm six, six foot and 280, you know, you know, so I'm a former offensive lineman with a pretty thick frame and just the, the width of the cutouts just was too narrow for me. And it just, it just didn't, it didn't work. It, it's, it actually increased the uh, you know, the localized point of pressure, like you were talking about, you know, the center of gravity was just off. And I think that part of the reason I like the, the Kettlebell Kings ones is, is their window fits my frame really well. And I like their 35 millimeter ones, but their 33 millimeter ones I don't like because the cone is too big and it, it sits on the wrong area of my arm, you know, so it's, it's very, it's very, very specific, you know, not that I can't lift any kettlebell that you put in front of me, but it's just, you know, it, it becomes a preference thing at a certain point, but I'm, I, it's it, the getting the geometry right for the for the widest range of, of body types is super challenging and I can 
you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. He had the right idea with trying to make the kettlebell more comfortable for a broader set of people, but that execution is, is a challenging thing to pull off. It is. That is the execution is, is going to be the hardest part. Um, another thing he had right was his, uh, his rep counter. Um, oh, the, the fixometer. Yeah. You know, it's just the execution was garbage. Um, I think he's just ahead of his time. And uh, it'll come out again, you know, someday. I've got ideas about how to make that better. Um, but first, I got to knock out this kettlebell. Um, <laughs> I, I have a I have a, a separate idea that that actually doesn't involve a, a, an attachment to the kettlebell, um, but yeah. I, I I work for an AI company uh, I work for an AI company by day and you can actually train uh, computer vision computer vision uh, cameras with onboard inferencing uh, you can train them uh, to be able to count reps and and be able to judge what is a counted rep and what is not a counted rep based on whether or not somebody actually fixated and whether or not they stopped. Uh, but you, it requires a large set of training data, which you have to, you know, then label and say, this was a good rep. This was not a good rep. And why? You, well, you don't have to give it why, but you, you have to, you have to, you have to train the model. Um, but, uh, that, that's my that's my thought is uh, at, at some point we can get to a point where we can actually train we could we could have computer judges that keep the rep count for you and and tell yeah. you, and tell you yes or no whether a rep counted um, and and it will uh, I can I can say almost unequivocally with enough training data it would it would be more accurate and, and and more objective than a than a human judge you're absolutely right yeah my thought was to uh, modify a, a Microsoft connect with the infrared and uh, you know, because uh, then you have the depth perception and all that stuff. I watched a guy do it. He made a uh, basketball hoop that could turn, that could change its angle based off of which way you threw the basketball at the backboard. Yep. And he sunk the basket every single time, right? Of course, you know, this guy had to do a ton of math to get it to work and all that stuff. But that could be done. Um, they just got to figure out a way to, um, not they, we <laughs> need to figure out a way to make it, you know, marketable so that it's worth the, the investment to do it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing I was, I, I just happened to have ac access to an NVIDIA Jetson <laughs> smart camera because of my day job. That's not, uh, not, not every, not everybody has access to that, nor do I expect that many people are going to be willing to invest in that technology. Um, but, yeah. Uh, we're not, we're not far off though. And the whole no, thing will probably be housed you. in your cell phone um, in the not too distant future. Yeah, no, I yeah, I can I completely agree with you. So, w so with the new kettlebells, how when will people be able to pre-order? You said September is the the target ship date. When will be able to when will people be able to give you pre-orders? And how do they do that? Well, I want to make sure that um my well okay. Once I get my 3D model done, I need to make sure that. The, the 3D model is great. If it's not great and it needs some tweaks, then I'm going to have to send it back and, and make the tweaks because I, I got to get it right the first time. Yep. But, you know, like you said, you're, you know, you're 280 and uh, I want to make sure it fits well on a big, a, a big guy as well as a, as a, a smaller person, you know, it's got to be that happy, that happy place where it, it fits great on most people and you know it really does what we want it to do um but i i feel like we're pretty close to that um and as soon as i know that the shape is right then i'll open it up to pre-orders and i'm just gonna say you know 
my mailing list is going to get it first. So if people are on my mailing list, then that's, that's who's going to get it. And how do, um, and how do they sign up for that? Just go on the website and we got a pop-up that says, Hey, why don't you get on our mailing list? Is you that the, I mean? the pro kettlebell mailing list or the Seattle kettlebell club mailing list? Or are they the, the one in the same? It doesn't matter. Okay. You know, they all go to the same, the same thing. Um, I just want to so, make sure I want to make sure that the you know the, pro, the, the pro 57 kettlebell. people that are going to listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, Pro Kettlebell Club, uh they're going to be a Pro Kettlebell branded kettlebell so so that's going to be the uh that's going to be the website to go to. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm um, I, I hope your 3D model comes in exactly to to spec and you're you're super excited because uh every, <laughs> I think uh, I think the the demand will never be higher than it's right now in the US for access to to uh, exercise equipment that they can use at home. Yeah, um for sure. And you know, to answer you I remember one of the comments on Facebook was about, you know, well we have different sizes and so the thought process was for the professional, you know, once you start getting into professional men's weights, that's, that's where the size increase was going to happen. Yeah. And that's 24 to 32 kilos for the uninitiated. I mean, 24 is still considered amateur, but you start getting into that. That still is a training weight for most professionals, 24 to 24 to 32 kilos. Right. Yeah. And uh, so the, the sizes under that would just be slightly smaller. They fit most people's frames. And, um, you know, people Kim are, Fox might have something to say about that. Cause she can throw around the 24s better than most men. Yeah. And that's, a, um, yep. But I think probably Kim Fox would appreciate, I've met Kim Fox and I think she would appreciate a bell that was maybe shaped a little bit more ergonomically. Yeah, and I don't think she—I don't think she would complain about uh, about having a thirty-five millimeter handle either. She's she's tough as nails, so you're not going to get many complaints from her. Right. Um, so, but you know, uh, Jordan, the um, the biggest market in the beginning, and I love the sport. The biggest market and the future of the sport is really to the new people. Absolutely. And. Um, so I want to make sure that every new person that comes in and says, okay, I've heard great things about kettlebells. I'm going to try them out that they, they pick up a kettlebell and they have a good experience and it feels like that kettlebell is made for their arm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not everybody has that experience. And like you said before, you know, you have to be masochistic to kind of get into kettlebells. Well, that shouldn't be the case. It, it should really be uh, open and available for, you know, anybody who wants to do it, they should be able to do it and not feel like they're getting a, a hammer slammed on the, the back of their arm every time they, they pick the thing up. You know. Well, I, I will I will quote uh, Valeri a little bit. You know, he was he was the, the first person I got uh, 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 certification from. He, he said, "Well, the kettlebell is teaching you a lesson if it's slamming into your wrist." <laughs> you know, he said the same thing when my hands were torn up. You know, after after doing the pantathlon the first time, he's like, eh, "Kettlebell's teaching you a lesson that you need to work on your form." But I, I completely I you know that's just an aside. I completely agree with you. I, I absolutely want to lower the barrier of entry, and I think uh, if we can viciously optimized for the best product experience for new people 
uh, and lower the barrier of entry so that, that we can get as many people into, into the sport and use it as a, a, you know, and just get them into kettlebells in general, even if they never compete, if they just feel confident and comfortable, if they can pick up a kettlebell and express their athleticism and feel, uh, feel like they know what they're doing and they're not going to hurt themselves. I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Right. This is, it goes back to helping as many people get what they want. And, you know, once people get into the sport, you know, those people are all that, that's the, you're preaching to the choir at that point. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, It's getting these people that are, you know, are they going to buy a Peloton, you know, or are they going to buy a set of kettlebells? And a Peloton is great because you can just hop on that thing. You start riding away and, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to do. It doesn't hurt except for the cardio burn and the, the, the lactic buildup. But, um, you know, a kettlebell can be kind of dangerous if, uh, if you're, if you don't know what you're doing and, and if the, the kettlebell is not, I did this, I, oh man, should I say that? No, I can't say the name because they paid me money. Um, but uh, there's a kettlebell out there that is the most god awful shape I've ever seen before. It's got the lowest. It's got the the center mass is so far from the handle that when it whips around on you, it's like hit, getting hit with a sledgehammer. Yep. And it's got a ledge that digs into the back of your forearm, and uh, it's just like it, it's so bad for for people learning how to do kettlebells. Like one time picking it up, and you'll never want to touch a kettlebell again. And uh, that's, that's got to stop because, you know, there's a lot of people who've been in this kettlebell business for a long time and they've essentially lost their shirts because they, they believe in it so much, but not enough people will do it because it is so hard to, to hold the darn things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's so many low quality kettlebells out there too, that you can get at Target or Walmart or whatever, and then you're, that are cheap and plastic and the wrong shape. And, you know, there's just so many bad, I mean, even, even beyond what the, the model that you're talking about, which I think I know who you're talking about, but we won't, we won't put you in any hot water, but you know, there's even, even lower standards than that, that are out there. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I, I try and rail quietly against i rage against that a little bit is you know uh you get what you pay for a little bit you know you've got to you've got to invest at least to a a decent level of quality or you're or it's not going to be a good experience right right yeah i'd say you know the most comfortable ones i i i think are out there right now are those kettlebell kings you know those are probably the most comfortable ones i like the kettlebell usa ones Um, pro paradigms yeah those are nice you know i think you you crave what you're fed. So if you use, you know, if you use something enough, you just learn to like it. Um, and then uh, Vulcan's got a kettlebell. that's kind of a, a mix between a, a comp bell and a, and a fitness bell. Yeah. The wider, the wider handle, you can actually do a two hand swing on it with the wider window on those ones. And I kind of like that one. Um, you know, but the thing is uh, none of them are available. And are they going to be available in the next couple months? I don't know. <laughs> if you listen, if you listen I'm on the Mike mailing Pompeo, list for all of them. We'll see. If you listen to Mike Pompeo, our secretary of state, it doesn't look good. 
Yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm on the mailing list. I keep uh, I keep waiting for that update saying that they're they're gonna be back in stock. I'm gonna so. give out some information here. I pro- maybe I shouldn't. My wife told me to keep my mouth shut. Um, but like getting stuff imported from China is gonna be very difficult in the future. I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't think you're talking out of turn to say that. Yeah. If if you are against uh, bad labor practices. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, that's you're you're made you're in the, the fact that you're making them in the USA. I'm, I, dude, I'm 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 all in. Like that's that's fantastic. I'm I'm all for that because I am absolutely 100% with you that the the convenience that we pay for with the low price points is is uh, on the back of someone else's exploitation. Uh, you know, and that there's we have to reconcile with that at some point. Yep, and there's a price that you pay for that. You know. Uh, that low cost, there's always a price in the long run, whether it's karmic or, you know, uh, low quality or, or somebody, you know, it always comes around to bite you. And I think we're it's like low, it's like cheap food, right? Cheap food's only cheap on the front end. It's yep. really expensive on the back end for your health. Yep. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to go and physically walk into the plant where these things are made and, and, uh, see how they're done and, and have a hand and, and, and like what, what the manufacturing process is and how they're, how they're packaged up and how they're delivered and all that, that, that yeah, and kind are of you, Are you, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share any trade secrets without, uh, without you. Are you comfortable saying where they're being made? I, I, you can say the state or the foundry. I mean, whatever level of specificity oh. you're comfortable with. I don't, I don't want to, I'll say that they're they're being made in Washington state. Um, I'm not going to give away the the foundry until uh, I'm a little bit closer to. uh, Yeah. Understandable. That's why I didn't want, I didn't want to put you in that, in that position. Yeah. But I got a feeling, you know, rogues already doing it. You know, they're making stuff in the United States. There's another kettlebell company that's making them in the U S too, but what they're making is they're making cast iron hard style kettlebells. Yeah. And uh, they haven't changed anything. And, um, you know, I have a feeling if you have my kettlebell in one arm and any other kettlebell in the other arm, you're going to say, what am I doing with this other kettlebell? This is the one I want. You know what I mean? Okay. It's gonna okay. Be, Don't get me in trouble for needing to replace all of my kettlebells. Cause it's gonna be, I think know, my wife is going to be really upset if I'm like, honey, I got to get rid of these 26 kettlebells I have and get new ones. And I tell you what, and people are, you know, ever, as far as getting them into competitions, you know what, you know how people will, will want them in competitions or how they'll be allowed in competitions? If, if I want them in competitions, well, I'll just say, well, how about I uh, donate, you know, all the kettlebells for your competition. And then all of a sudden they'll be allowed in the competition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And money talks when it comes down to it everybody has trouble getting kettlebells and all these competitions have trouble getting lifters you know what i mean um it's kind of like you know it is what it is so whatever competitions have kettlebells and have lifters those are the ones that you know are happening 
Well, and and to like and to be clear, like they're going to meet the international specs. You know, they have to have a, a thirty-five millimeter handle at a at a certain point, and they have to have a thirty you know thirty-three millimeters allotted a certain point on the bell, and they have to have mm-hmm. a certain have have to have a certain weight to them within a certain level of accuracy. And they'll meet all those specs, so I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be allowed, other than politics, which right. is a, a whole other conversation that we probably don't have time for. But uh, sure, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I think you're, I think you're 100% right that we can, uh, we can figure that out. And, and, uh, I think, I think the lifters, what the lifters want will end up ruling the day. Right. And obviously there's precedent to draw from, from Olympic lifting. Absolutely. Yep. So I think the sport is ready to advance and, uh, you know, they're, they're hungry for it and, and, kettlebells are there's a there's a lot of demand for them right now and there's a lot of new people that are getting started doing it and so i think it's just a it's it's the best opportunity right now yeah absolutely it's sewing season right now for sure i think uh, i think you're you're in a great position and i'm i'm really excited with all the things that you have that you have in the works so uh kudos to you and uh if there's anything i can do to support you i'm i'm happy to do so and uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on i want to be respectful of your time and uh you know we'll, we'll wrap up we're a little over an hour but uh i want to want to really thank you for thank you for your time how do people find you um on the social medias and you know uh, obviously you're at you know seattle kettlebell club and uh pro kettlebell but you know how do they find you on social media as an individual or as a brand you know whatever you want people to follow uh, pretty pretty much the um the brand um, I limit my own personal social media, um, you know, but, uh, Seattle kettlebell club and pro kettlebell, uh, are the, are the brands and, um, you know, that's, that's what, uh, that's where they can find us. Um, and they're doing free workout Fridays every Friday, uh, pro kettlebell or the pro kettlebell puts out a, a free workout class, right? Where you guys, you guys, anybody can come and, and check it out, right? That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, just there'll be opportunity. I'm doing a lot of videos right now. And right now I use my members, but there'll be a lot of um, opportunity for other uh, kettlebell professionals to be able to, you know, help provide um, material and input or be part of the videos if, if they like to do that and, and maybe promote their own brand. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to provide a, a platform for those, uh, those people too. Well, I'm not super good looking, but I would be, I would be happy to be a part of that. I'd be happy to support in any way, in any way that I can. So I would, I would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. Um, and then, uh, I just got to say, uh, you know, last time I had an interview done, I, I really did a terrible job of, of getting, giving full credit to my wife, Amber, who, um, who works behind the scenes and, and actually, uh, has a lot of the ideas that I get credit for. And uh, because I kind of, I'm in the gym and I do a lot of the training, but uh, you know, if it were not for her, there would be no Seattle kettlebell. There'd be no pro kettlebell. There would be none of this. Um, And uh, you know, she does all of this while uh, you know, we have three kids and um, you know, she rarely gets invited to be on the interviews because people don't see her, but she is um, all that and more you know, as far as getting things done. And uh, so I just, uh, I need to say thank you, Amber. And I love you very much. Thank you very much for all your help 
Shout out to Amber. That's, that's awesome. And I, I will say, I would love, I would love to have her on to talk more about the, the business aspects. If she, if she wants to talk more about the entrepreneurial journey, I'd be happy. I would be happy to talk to her because that's fantastic. And it's awesome that you guys have that strong partnership where, you know, you're each trying to play to each other's strengths and uh, supporting each other in this, in this venture that you've created together. So, you know, that's, that's fantastic. I think it's key. It's key. You got to have somebody, somebody to fill in your, your weak spots. Absolutely. So. 100% agree. Yeah. Well, thank you. All very right. much. I appreciate your time, Nikolai, and uh, have a good night. And thank you for, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Have a good appreciate night. It. Thank you. All right. Good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi Wright. If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub, on Twitter at TCKBClub, online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com, and please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.